Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the self-proclaimed world's greatest podcast. It is, of course, that's the way the cookie crumbles. And we are here with a very special guest. We've got Ollie from Ollie Talks Football on Instagram. Give him a follow on there if you're on the platform. And he's the social media manager for La Liga England. So, Ollie, welcome to the pod. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have great to have you on, mate, and pick your brain about all things La Liga because predominantly on the pod we do talk about the Premier League, but we do have vested interest in the Champions League, La Liga, Bundesliga, Liga, etc., etc. But mm-hmm. Oli, I just want to talk to you just a little bit about your job and just basically what you do for La Liga England at the minute, and just the few opportunities that you've been taking from time to time. And like I said on your Instagram account, Oli Talks Football, give him a follow. You've only been doing it since October, I believe. Checking that out, and yeah, how did you get into it, and why La Liga? Well, it's there's kind of a long and a short version to the story, but I think we have a good bit of time, so I can go into a bit of detail about how it all came about. Um, in terms of working in social media, in football social media, um, I suppose it was always something I wanted to do. I mean, like every young lad, my dream was to be a footballer. And through that, I suppose... A lot of people were probably in the same boat as me when we were like 10, 11, 12. It was when YouTube was really kicking off like as a as a platform and it became really accessible to be a creator. So I was obviously very inspired by KSI. Obviously, he's the he's the big one, but loads of different football YouTubers. One massive one for me was Spencer FC, Spencer Owen, who now owns Hashtag United. Um, all these kind of FIFA football YouTubers, they they were people I was watching every single day when I got home from school. And through that, I was kind of inspired to start my own YouTube channel. So it was nothing special, but it was a, it was something. So I think I got an iPod Touch for my 11th or 12th birthday and started to like make videos on that, use my parents' laptop to edit them and basically made videos of me playing football in the garden. And that was kind of my first introduction to the creative process in in that regard in from a filmmaking point of view. Um, And then obviously just having fun with it, choosing the right music, like doing the edits, learning how to, you know, add graphics and stuff. So that was like the the kind of first part of football social media, which I remember posting. And then from there. A few guys in my school, we all had different YouTube channels. I, I can't remember if I like kind of publicly, I don't think I was ever like everyone in my school, like follow my YouTube channel. It was kind of a secret thing, but some guys that I played sport with knew about it. And then it was never like a really regular thing that I did, but I was always making videos basically. So it was first thing on my iPod touch. And then I think I started to become interested in photography. So I got like a little point and shoot camera, started to learn the basics of photography then I got a GoPro um, and then I remember, I think it was my 15th birthday, I got a PC, which was a bit of a game changer because I could install the Adobe suite on it and install it. You know, I found a way to get it. Basically, I didn't have any money, but like I found a way to get it. And from there, I just kind of really became interested in learning how to edit videos, learning how to do graphic design, learn Photoshop. And... It was actually at that time that I started to obviously Instagram was starting to become a thing, Snapchat and stuff. So I was following a lot of 
internet uh, social media accounts to do with sport and in Ireland where I'm from so I'm from Sligo in the west of Ireland and um, we obviously have football which is a big sport but we have Gaelic football which is probably the sport at around this time when I was 14 15 that I was playing more of um I was I was decent at football when I was younger but I was very small and then I kind of transitioned into playing more Gaelic always played football along the side but anyway at this time I was playing Gaelic and it was kind of my main interest and then the social media thing so I started to like message Instagram accounts which might have had like 20,000 60,000 followers was like the max and I would just say oh I I want to make edits for you so at this time it was like turning Gaelic football players into like FIFA Ultimate Team cards like I remember that was like some of the first Photoshop that I did and then I would just like make edits for for them for free like I wasn't getting paid I would like download clips from the internet make compilations and then they'd upload them to the YouTube channel they get a few thousand views I do the odd vlog here and there so that was kind of my interest fast forward a few years after kind of doing that consistently without getting paid for it I realized well I want to do this for a job so and I, th I actually made like a, a little business when I was 16 which was filming football matches for my local football GA clubs my school so I got I remember I got like a Sony A6000 decent camera got a tripod and I would just this is when I first started to make money because I, I would think I would charge like nine euro per hour or something to film teams and uh once I had that like little freelance business when I was going to university I kind of said to my parents do I need to go to university or can I not just focus on my energy on on making a freelance media business because I'd seen people on the internet like doing it without going to university I was like if I can just put all my energy into this my parents said look we want you to go to university like it's a great experience a lot of people most people go to university these days so I did do that studied multimedia so that was kind of getting into the football industry getting into any industry you need that piece of paper really to get your foot in the door unfortunately even though I don't really believe that it's necessary sometimes that's just the way it is you need a degree so I got that degree it was three years kind of, that was like a very practical um degree where it was kind of half practical half theory based like write-ups essays and stuff but the practical side was like video production photography graphic design audio production like and then you had like marketing modules social studies so it was like an, a really nice mix of things and then you could obviously channel your energy into a certain thing you're interested in mine was always uh, mine was always video did a bit of radio stuff and then basically after university i i kind of half my university was in covid so um during that COVID time, obviously I was stuck in Ireland, stuck at home and I already got like an urge to go traveling. So as soon as like the world opened up a bit, I moved to, well, I went traveling in Spain. I was basically went kind of volunteering with two friends. We spent like three months, we spent two months in Spain, just going from like different volunteering place to the other on, on this platform called Workaway. So it's like a lot of it is eco projects. We would spend time in like in the mountains, just like living kind of off grid, doing this type of thing. But everywhere I went, I'd always bring my camera. I'd always be taking photos. I was have my laptop with me in case there was an opportunity to like 
make the most of wherever the surrounding was. After I was in Spain, I went to Morocco for a month to surf because I love surfing. So I went there and as part of the volunteer and I ran their social media for a month. Um, and that was really good for my portfolio. Um, then after that volunteer and I moved back to Ireland. No, I went back to Ireland for Christmas and I decided when I'd been in Spain, I began to speak Spanish again because I'd learned it in school, didn't do it in university. Really loved that. And then went, decided when I went back for Christmas, like, I want to move to Spain. I don't really care where it is. Just see if I can move. So I pl- I had already done like a TEFL course during COVID because me and my friend always wanted it like as an option. So found, I, I was applying for jobs, just any English teaching jobs or ever in Spain. Because it was Christmas, nothing was really happening. But then I found like a friend of a friend advertising their Instagram that they were, um, they had a room free in an apartment in Valencia. So as soon as I saw that, like Valencia was really cheap. It was like 250 euro or something. So I was like, right. Didn't have a job, but I was like, I'll just move over and make it happen. After about a month, one of my friends who I'd met, she left her job. She gave me her teaching job. I taught for four months. And while I was there, I was doing, still doing all my photography bits, getting a bit of freelance work here and there through people I'd met. And then I was, I liked the teaching, but I knew it wasn't like what I wanted to do forever. So I spent a lot of time on my portfolio during that, those few months, built a website, kind of redid my CV. And the portfolio was actually kind of, the aim of it was to become a freelancer and just to have this portfolio for when I would send to people who I want to work with. Luckily, around that time when I just finished it, um, I was playing Gaelic football over in Valencia and in that group chat, someone sent in the job for Valencia Football Club, which was English social media manager. It was actually digital content specialist in English, which is basically social media manager. I was like, the guy said Killian from Dublin. I have, I have a lot. I have him. I have to thank him for a lot. He said, great English speaking job there if anyone is interested. So I applied. Bit of a long process. Got into Valencia. Got that job. And that was that was a temporary. So it was working and covering a maternity leave. And Maria was off. So I kind of stepped in for eight months. Did the social media, loved it. Like it was, it was a great experience. Got to go to like fifteen to twenty games in Mestalla. Got my foot in the door in the football industry, and then after eight months, that was it. Like she came back, so they didn't have the budget to like keep me on or anything. So I went off, went traveling to Mexico for a bit. Came back to Ireland. Didn't know what I was doing. Wanted a remote job. Wanted to keep traveling. Then I just like, well, maybe I want to move back to Spain. So I looked up on LinkedIn, like sports media jobs, Spain, and the first one was La Liga, social media manager, English. So I applied for that with my experience from Valencia, with my portfolio. Kind of got it, and that's where I am now. So that's kind of the long version. I hope that was not too long, but it's not... Was that okay? Like, <laughs> no, that was perfect, mate. Not too long at all. And like yeah. you said, we we've definitely got the time to talk about, it. and it's a really interesting story, obviously, because it's not every day that obviously someone who's obviously from Ireland, like yourself, that has such a, pa- a passion for La Liga and, and Spain itself. And like you said, mm. 
the pandemic almost spurred you on a little bit to go traveling. And like you said, you've been to Mexico, you've been to Spain, you've done some volunteering with the eco-based groups and stuff like that up in the mountains where it was almost like a, a non-touristy side of Spain. And this is like Spain, like you said, off the grid. And it's just like, obviously with, with you going, becoming uh, the La Liga social media manager, uh, English version of it, was there always a passion for you for the league itself in La Liga or was it almost just like, I like the country of Spain and I do love football, therefore I'll, I'll be happy anywhere. Um, a bit of both, I suppose. I mean, I think the first football kit I ever had, other than a Newcastle one, because I'm a Newcastle fan, was a Barcelona kit with Ronaldinho on the back. And I remember being a child and going to France on holidays, on a camping holiday with my parents and our dear friends from Scotland, Owen and Aidan. And I remember I had that kit and I would just wear it every day. And I had, I remember I went to like a, spa, a French sports shop and bought like a headband because I had kind of long hair. And I, that was like my Ronaldinho face. Obviously the person who came after Ronaldinho was Messi. And I remember the first time I ever saw him play. I think it was like a Champions League game, like a Tuesday night. I don't remember the exact game, but I do remember like speaking to my dad, speaking to my brother about how good he was, and then speaking to my grandfathers, both of them, who would have watched the game, just been like, "Who is this messy guy?" And then, um, because I'm from I'm from Sligo, but my parents are from Northern Ireland, so like growing up, it was just like I didn't have any cousins or anything. It was just like my immediate family. And I didn't have many links, but there was one link that I had to Sligo, which was through my great auntie, her husband, Mick, Mick Scanlon, who actually was a footballer, used to play for Sligo Rovers back in the 60s or 70s. Um, he was a huge football fan and he had an obsession with Messi and Pep Guardiola's team. And so did his son, Paul. And he kind of passed that on to me because... They had a little. They lived in Dublin, but they had a little apartment in Sligo. And if I'd spend time with them, Mick, God rest him, would always say like, "What's the story with this messy guy and Pep Guardiola?" Like always, kind of, kind of spurring on my interest that I already had for Barcelona. Um, so that was like as a child, I suppose, the interest in Spanish football. Another kind of core memory for me, I do remember being on holidays in. 2008 when Spain won the Euros and then more of a core memory for me would have been my 11th birthday in July of 2010 and my birthday uh, was a World Cup themed birthday and all my friends came over and we watched the World Cup final together when Spain won it and um, funnily enough my fa I have family in my uncle married a Dutch woman and they had bought us, like, Netherlands jerseys. So me and my brother were actually supporting the Netherlands that day. Um, and I remember it because mum had put in loads of effort. I remember she bought, like, World Cup bunting, which at the time, like, it wasn't like Amazon, you know. I think eBay, eBay and Amazon existed, but it wasn't, like, as easy to get stuff. So I think she, like, planned it way in advance, got all this, like, World Cup bunting, hung it up in our kitchen, and it was the year when um, England had that Dizzy Rascal and James Corden shout for England tune. And 
that would have been like kind of a soundtrack, even though none of us were really supporting England. Like obviously being Irish, you're always watching the BBC, ITV, whatever. I remember my brother did a quiz and that was like the answer to one of the questions. And all my mates were over and it was a beautiful summer's day and all we wanted to do was play football. But the game went on to like extra time. Like we were all just so hyper and it was nil all the game. And then obviously Iniesta scored. And I, I remember all my friends would always, they had all gone holidays to Spain. So they all wanted Spain to win. So when Iniesta scored, like we were all jumping all over the place and like doing dog piles and stuff. So that, would, I mean, I haven't actually thought about that too much. Um, but that is kind of another core memory. And then I would say the most significant introduction to me into Spanish football would have been when I was 16. When I was studying Spanish in secondary school, I had the opportunity to go on an intercambio, like a student exchange program. In in Ireland, you basically have like your junior cert, which is GCSEs. Then you have your leaving cert, which is A-levels. But in between, you have this year called TY, which is transition year. And it's kind of a year to like go and do work experience, go and work out what you want to do, maybe go on an exchange. So I had the opportunity to do that. And I came to Madrid in March of 2016 and stayed in a suburb like north of the city. And the family, the Del Hoyos, brilliant family. They were so, so good to me. They were huge Atleti fans. So this suited me because I was always Barca instead of Real. So like coming to Madrid, I was like naturally not going for Real. So I was like, this is perfect, Atleti. And I remember like the first week or something, they were saying, yeah, we're going to bring you to a game. We're going to bring you to a game. And I think there was talk of us going to like Real Betis were coming. And I remember that whole week being like, oh yeah, we're going to go to the Betis game. For whatever reason, I couldn't get tickets or it didn't happen, but they were like, we will go to a game. And then I think it was like a week later or two weeks later, Granada were coming. And this is in 2016, so it was still like the Calderon. Um, so that was my first game. And, and this also links back to like what I was saying earlier about like vlogging and being into filmmaking. I made a vlog for my YouTube channel of that game in the Calderon, still on my YouTube channel. Uh, and... Like, it's so crazy to look back on that. Like, I was there with my GoPro filming myself. Like, there's a funny clip in it. Before we leave the house, I'm, like, watching Leicester versus West Ham because it was the year Leicester won the league. And it was, like, it was like April of that year. So Leicester were on that period where they were getting, like, loads of 1-0 wins. And everyone was, like, watching all the games. So I remember before the game, I was watching the Leicester game. Went to the match and just like bought a scar. I think I bought a jersey off like one of the guys that sells them in the streets of Madrid. If you've ever been, you see the guys, they have they walk around with the big like bags on their back and they open them out in the squares. And I remember like walking past, I was like, I want that Atleti jersey. Had that, bought a scarf and like walked into the Calderon, beautiful sunny day. And the team was like, you know, it's so crazy to think like 10 years later, not 10 years later, eight years later. Griezmann still playing, Koke still playing. I think All Black was playing that day. And Torres was playing. So it ended 3-1. Torres scored twice. Yeah, <laughs> Torres scored twice. And Co and Koke actually scored. Um, so I made a vlog of that. like, And 
it was just my first in- introduction in Spanish football. And looking back, like in hindsight, that's probably maybe the most significant moment in how I've ended up what I'm doing now. So it's all connected, man. Yeah, that's honestly, that's really interesting, just mainly because it's something that you're obviously passionate about and something that you've got rooted core memories with obviously with like family members and again that stems back to the first time you watch Messi and it's good that you've actually you're doing something in a league that you're knowledgeable about and one that you're actually bothered about to a point where you're fascinated by the stadiums and the culture and the fan base and just Mm -hmm. like you said it's just a whole different thing over there obviously from you living in Ireland and the first time I saw Messi Again, with me myself being a Chelsea fan, uh, we was away in the new camp, um, or camp now, um, in the Champions League. I want to say it was around 2015 16. We got beat 3 0. And before that point, Messi hadn't scored past us. Um, and that was the second leg. We lost 3 0 and we went out. But yeah, I just remember when he picked up the ball, he could have picked the ball up in the left back position, the centre back position. Everyone in the stadium stood up. It was such mm-hmm. a surreal experience. And obviously, because Barca were playing an English team, they did a big mosaic tifo and it said god save the king and it was it was messy with a crown on and it was just so surreal like the experience and funnily enough quite poetic chelsea were the first team to play atleti in the wonder metropolitano we were the very first team and we scored was that batuai yeah it was yeah (laughs) marata scored the first goal before it as well which is quite poetic because he's one of the main guys there at the minute that's mad man one thing i said like there is Messi, like, is I'm completely obsessed with him, but I've never seen him play live. It's like one of my biggest regrets. Like, and there's still time. There's still time. Like, it's getting more unlikely, but I feel like there is time. Maybe my dream would be to go to Buenos Aires to see him play for Argentina. But like, I mean, there's you could probably there's probably only a handful of opportunities that I'll get left. So I need to make it a priority. But yeah, man, sounds amazing seeing Messi in the new camp. Yeah, it was like I said, it was a completely surreal experience, and I've been lucky enough to to go and watch Chelsea abroad on on quite a few occasions, and it, that was just the only occasion I can remember where I've been in awe of someone for for ninety minutes straight. I genuinely don't think he misplaced a pass. I don't think he was tackled. It was just ridiculous. And prior to that, there was a big voodoo of he hasn't scored past Chelsea. He missed a vital penalty in the semi final in the game where Torres eventually. Oh, I do remember that man. I was fuming. Hits the crossbar. Um, he missed a sitter at Stamford Bridge. It was just a big thing, and then he goes and does that. But mm. I, I, like I said, I've been lucky enough. I've seen Messi, I've seen Neymar, although it was a friendly between Brazil and Croatia at Anfield Stadium. Mm-hmm. Though I don't think we got the most serious version of Neymar that day. So Ronaldo play. Um, but just in your experience, obviously, in La Liga, we're speaking about some greats there. Who are the some of the players for the the maybe not so known clubs? Some some of your clubs like a, a Vallecano or a Betis mm-hmm. who have obviously picked up quite a bit of traction this year with with Isco. Who are the players that you've watched and you thought, you know what, I didn't think you'd be that good live, but now I've saw you live, I get it. Yeah, good question. Um, I think one player who really stood out for me this season, the first game of the season, I went to Villarreal versus Betis. And um, one player that really stood out was Danny Parejo, who, who kind of, the, my understanding of Parejo was like kind of, and a lot of my kind of knowledge about Spanish football in terms of players and clubs, and everyone can relate to this, is through FIFA. So like playing FIFA, like that's how you get to know all the names of the players. And then like you'll see them pop up in the Champions League every now and again, like 
But Parejo was like always good in FIFA. Um, but like he kind of was never quick, so you mightn't use him. But um, just technically like in the middle of the park, kind of controlling the game. Uh, and I really enjoy center mids when they're kind of so intelligent and they're not the fastest, but it's kind of just like body movements where they can control the game and just like intelligence to find the space. Obviously, like the Masters, Busquets, but like Parejo, he's got like a great crossfield like switch. He's just really good at controlling the game. Um, another person who stood out for me was when I worked at Valencia, um, Gaia, like Jose Luis Gaia, who is another like kind of recognizable name in terms of Valencia. Like he's definitely the guy. He's been captain there for years, but. He's just solid as a rock, you know, left back. And I love him because there's so many opportunities he could have left Valencia, but he's he's Valencia through and through. And he signed a, a new contract like last year. Um, and yeah, he's the capitan. So I love Gaia. And then who else this season? Um, I suppose another surprising one would be there's a guy for Rayo Vallecano who's really good. He's called Oscar Valentin. He's like a centre mid. So I've been to see Rayo tw uh, twice this season. And he's another. He's just an underrated player. So, yeah. They're three ones, but, you know, La Liga is littered with great players. I mean, and as I said earlier, like when I was kind of growing up, watching the league it's obviously you tune in for a classical you'll tune in for like i would tune in for like a random barcelona game just to watch messi but now that i work in the league especially working for la liga because even when i was working for valencia it was like okay you need to watch all the valencia games but like it's not an absolute priority to like be up to date with the rest of the league whereas now if i'm working on a weekend you're doing like six games you yeah. know throughout the course of the season you're gonna watch every team like multiple times yeah um there's loads of good players man and uh even this season like las palmas they have this guy like kirian rodriguez who had like it's actually a really cool story he had like cancer a couple of years ago or last year made like a crazy recovery now he's cat he's captain of las palmas He's wow. their leader. He got La Liga Player of the Month last last month. Last Palmas have this other their keeper Alvaro Baez is like absolutely insane. There's loads of good keepers like Spanish keepers that you wouldn't know like Baez, David Soria for Getafe is really yeah, good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's like the thing is the Premier League is all the stars, but La Liga, if you can find the beauty in it. And the beauty in it is kind of, it's not difficult to find, but it requires like um, kind of commitment to watching the league, yeah. to understanding the culture, to understand how Spanish football works yeah. um, because it's, it's very different in English football. And the, be the best reflection of like why Spanish, Spain is so good as a football nation is like all the managers like the best managers are, mo are mostly Spanish and they're just littered across European football. The academies are 
ridiculous. And like the football culture, like within the country, going to matches is really special too. So yeah, man, there's loads of magic about Spanish football. It's just being from like an from like an English speaking country, obviously like a Premier League oriented country. I feel really lucky to kind of be in this position to kind of enjoy it and see the beauty in it and go to matches and speak to people and yeah, it's really special, man. Honestly. Yeah, it's good, and obviously you can tell just by speaking to you that you're obviously very grateful of the opportunities that you've you've afforded and opportunities that you've worked hard for to even be afforded in that opportunity. And I'm just want to segue a little bit. Someone, I say someone, a bunch of someones that have worked hard this season, and no one thought they'd be where they were. Girona or Girona uh, for the mm-hmm. Spanish listening listeners, and they're only two points off Real Madrid. Both played twenty three games, roughly about halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. Realistically, now. Obviously, if you said to Hiron at the start of the season, you'll be within an ear's length of the Champions League positions halfway through the season, they'd have took your hand off. But realistically now, halfway through the season, what's the the minimum you would say Hirona could be able to fall to be able to fall into here? Would you say it's the Champions League place and it'd still be a success, Europa League or even the Conference League? And everyone would be like, well, yeah, we wasn't expecting much. Yeah, I mean, Girona have just been the the gift that keeps on giving this season and it's been really really nice to be honest because it's like another thing to get excited about in the league and what they're doing is absolutely outrageous like it's it's kind of even you could say it's even more ridiculous than what Leicester did because the kind of difference between the top teams and the, the bottom teams in terms of budget is is more drastic, I would say, in, in La Liga. And the Giants are really, really hard to stop. So what Girona are doing is absolutely absurd. I mean, this season they've beaten Barcelona, they've beaten Atletico, they lost to Real, and they've on, that was their only game they've lost this season against Real Madrid. So, look, where can they go this season? What they've done so far is... In most years, they'd be like outright, you know, top of the league, no bother. Um, really impressively, actually. And I know it's Real Madrid, but if I if you t- if you look at it from on paper, like the the injuries Real Madrid have got this season should mean that their team isn't winning as many games. Courtois, uh, Militao, Alaba, they all did their cruciate ligaments. Uh, Vinny's been in and out of the team. Uh, Rudiger's injured now. Chamani was in and out of the team. Um, there might be another big one that I'm missing there, but Real Madrid have just been like super consistent with this new system that they're employing with, with Bellingham. But what Girona have done is kind of... They have this guy, Michel, who's the manager, basically, who's a Rio Vallecano legend, Madrileño. He's gone to... Girona, which is in Catalonia, and he's kind of tried to fit in as best he can. He's learned Catalan, which isn't really necessary because, you know, we're in Spain, everyone speaks Spanish, Castellano. But in order to connect with some of like the local players and obviously the fans, he's he's gone the extra mile. And what he's kind of implemented is 
loads of solid players and he's kind of improving them and making them play like way better than they should be playing basically. Uh, I mean, how would I kind of compare it to the Premier League? This might be biased as a Newcastle fan, but Eddie Howe came into the Newcastle team with loads of bang average players and made them way better than they should be. So that's how I would, you know, you can kind of compare it to that in some ways, you know. Uh, so, and then he's also like mixing in experienced players. Um, so he's got Gazaniga, ex Spurs, is the goalkeeper. Uh, you know, good experience. You know, he was always understudy to Larice, but he definitely had periods of time where he was number one. Maybe that that could have been due to injury, but he's played in the Champions League. He's played in the Premier League. He's a bit, he's good experience. Daily Blind is a centre back for Girona. Obviously, ex Man United, Ajax had a stint at Bayern Munich. We all know Daily Blind, and we all rate him. He's a fantastic player, fantastic guy, a complete leader. Um. Then they have youngsters like their two fullbacks, Jan Cuoto and Miguel Gutierrez. Gutierrez is a Real Madrid Academy uh, graduate. Jan Cuoto is this Brazilian kid who's, I think it's his first season in the Liga. He's just a really technical right back. Um, and then they have this guy on the wing who City have apparently just agreed to sign him. Obviously, most people will know Girona are part of the City Football Group. And I wouldn't really... I still think Michel and the club itself and the players deserve all the credit. Obviously, being in the City Football Group has its benefits. Um, Savinho is the guy I'm talking about. He's apparently just agreed to sign for City, even though they own the club already. Um, but the, he's like 19... He was on loan at PSV last season from Troyes, which is another their team in the French League, part of the City Football Group. He's been absolute revelation this season. Left winger, kind of gives me a kind. He gives me Neymar vibes. He's probably more of a modern winger than Neymar with regards taking on your man. Neymar probably did more like fancy footwork and skills. Savino has that in his locker, but he's much more of a modern winger where it's just like, you know, intricate dribbling, but nothing too fancy. Get the job done. Take your man on one-on-one, -on -one, set up and score goals. He's really, really exciting. Um, and then their top goal scorer, joint top goal scorer in the league is this guy Artem Dovbik, Ukrainian. There's two Ukrainians in the team, Dovbik and Sigankov. They've both been signed this year. Like, just performing out of the skin. Dovbik came from the Ukrainian league. To come into La Liga, you know, definitely one of the best leagues in the world. Uh, top two, I would say. Uh, and to kind of just play on a ridiculous level. He scored 14 goals and got five assists, I think. He's got the most goal contributions in the league this year. He's a big, strong... Who I compare him to like Eden Dzeko, maybe. Just a big, strong... Dzeko's actually mad underrated, I think, but... Dalvik is maybe a bit quicker, but kind of has that that Jekyll vibe about him. Le left footer, just absolute beast. He's joint top goal scorer with Bellingham and uh, Borja Mayoral from Getafe. So where can they go this season? 
that was a bit of a rundown of the team. Where can they go this season? They're two points off Real Madrid, and at the time of recording this, they play Real Madrid in the Bernabeu on Saturday. Uh, so this is like absolute humdinger of a game. There's a couple of things Friday as well. This will roughly come out on Friday, I'm thinking. So okay, a nice little uh, pre-match listen. Okay, well for anyone listening to this before the game, uh, you know, massive opportunity for Girona. A couple of things going against them. They had a bit of a mare in their last game against Real Sociedad at home. They drew, they drew nil all, which is not is by no means a mare. It's it's not a bad result. However, a bit of in ill discipline has really cost them. One of their midfield, the best midfielders this season, Jan Gal Herrera, who scored some really important goals, got, I think it's eight yellow cards to get a suspension. He's suspended. Michel, who's a really, he's a bit, he's kind of a cool and calm character, like off the pitch, but when he's on the sideline, he's a bit like Arteta, very, very passionate, sometimes pushes it too far. He got a red card against Sociedad, so I believe that means he won't be on the sideline, but not exactly sure. Daily Blind as well. This is kind of the worst one for me. Like after the game, he was frustrated, said something to the ref, got yellow. He suspended too. So and Dovbic didn't play against Sociedad because he's got a knee injury. He is back in training. So it's not the best things happening at Girona going into a top of the table clash at the Bernabeu. Real Madrid coming off a one-all draw in the Madrid derby at home to Atleti. Um, but, so when when Girona played Real Madrid this season at home, they got spanked 3-0. Uh, Girona got beaten 3-0. But when they've come up against the other two of the traditional top three, Atleti and Barca, they beat Barca 4-3 in the Olympic Stadium, which is where Barca are playing the season while the Camp Nou is being redeveloped. And they beat Atleti 4-2 at home, I think. So once they come up against the big boys, they can bring their A game. Um, but it's going to be difficult, obviously. Uh, even looking beyond this Real Madrid game, because I don't think it's kind of winner-takes-all. There's still a long way to go. Uh, Girona are out of the Copa del Rey. They have no European football. From now until the end of the season, they only will be focusing on the Liga, which is definitely a big thing. If you compare uh, if you compare with who they're up against for top four, it's Barcelona, Atleti, and Bilbao. Real Sociedad. Bilbao. Real Sociedad. Bilbao are up there too. Um, Sociedad have Champions League, as do Barca, and... Uh, Atleti, so that's huge. Bilbao are on a really good run. Um, they just beat Atleti last night in the Copa del Rey quarterfinal. Uh, so Bilbao are there as well, but I think as it stands, like Girona are definitely in the runner for top four. Uh, I wouldn't rule them out of the league, honestly. Like it could be a crazy end to the season, but. I would just say watch them. It's you know they play possession style football, but it is still very attacking. They have really exciting wingers. Tune in because you won't be disappointed. This game on Saturday, I think it's at yeah, it's a Saturday evening. Check it out. Real Madrid, you're on in the Bernabeu. You want to be watching Bellingham anyway, so 
watch your owner. Definitely. And I was just double checking the kickoff time. So it's half five UK time and six mm-hmm. thirty um Spanish time for that one. And like you said, all these just said definitely watch that one. You're gonna watch it for Bellingham anyway, but yeah. listen to all this valuable insight on Girona and people you will know obviously more players than what Ollie said there. You've got Christian Stuani who played for Middlesbrough last time they were in the Premier League. Um Gazzaniga, as he's mentioned, played for Spurs in and out. He was the number one at Southampton when Pochettino was there as well. Obviously, Daily Blind, we we all definitely know. And a few players I just wanted to pick your brain about Ollie, uh, from Girona, past and present. So like we have mentioned, they are part of the city football group and I used to live in New York City specifically uh, around the time uh, when they won the league and a little bit before that New York but they had a player called Tati Castellanos Valentin Castellanos uh, and mm-hmm. he played for Girona last season I believe and he's just got a move to Lazio this mm-hmm. year a lot of Girona fans that I've been checking out online were obviously quite worried when they sold him for next to no money with it being in the City Football Group and thinking are oh, we just mm-hmm. a feeder for these guys and they probably think the same with Salvio now like you've said, they've obviously not missed him, but as a result, do you think that long-term that this might harm uh, Girona? Because if they do get in the Champions League, I'm pretty sure with them being owned by Manchester City as well, that they, they're not actually allowed in. Yeah, to be honest, that Champions League qualification situation, I don't really know what the story is there. And it would be an awful, awful pity if they weren't allowed I'd be surprised if they weren't allowed, but you never know. I mean, that's a rumour. Um, in terms of, yeah, I think like long-term, you're wearing an Ajax jersey there, and that could be a good example of, you got to get a team at the right time, and this might be the year, because players will move on. Like a lot of these players aren't permanent. Uh, Savino already is, is going to Man City. Gutierrez, the left back, has like a buyback clause at Real Madrid for like eight million or something. Alex Garcia, who's their captain and possibly one of their best players, who's been definitely one of their best players this season, has been linked very closely with Barcelona. Um, so it's kind of all or nothing, I would say. That being said, though, if they get Champions League football and they're backed by the City Football Group, I'm sure. They're not just gonna like neglect the squad. So it's hard to tell there. Like another person who left last season was Oriel Romeu, who went to Barcelona. So yeah, this is an issue. Of and also Michel, the manager, is definitely being eyed up all around Europe. Probably most most obviously for the Barcelona job. Xavi's leaving at the end of, leaving at the end of the season. But like, say the Zerbi went to Liverpool, and then Brighton could take him. Like, you never know. Like, there's loads of possibilities. So it is kind of this year they just have to go for it um, and see where it gets them. But good that you mentioned Stuani there. He's been absolutely immense this season. He's like scored. He comes off the bench. He scored like eight or nine goals. Absolute menace in the box. They have two, like they have between him and Dovbik, it's like one big guy goes off, the other one comes on. Stuani's a fantastic leader as well. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I was delighted when Atleti scored last minute equaliser against Real Madrid the other night in the Bernabeu because it means this Girona dream can kind of fill us with enthusiasm for longer and longer and long may it continue.
Defo, and I think I'm right in saying that everyone that's not either from Madrid or Barcelona that's not a Barcelona fan is after Girona winning this La Liga title and upsetting the party. And like you mentioned there, with the City Football Group, just as we're moving on from Girona, if they do qualify for the Champions League, there's definitely room in there for them to be one of the, the next best of the rest and almost a regular in that top four, like you said, if yeah. they establish that with obviously the financial backing, if they just don't let it fall by the wayside. Yeah, one interesting thing is like, Girona have the smallest stadium in the Liga. It's only 14,000 seater. So I don't even think that would be, a, they wouldn't even be allowed to play Champions League games there if they can get over that other grey area. So that shows you like what the status is of this club, 14,000 seats. That's like League 2, League 1. Yeah. I remember Luton Town this season and Bournemouth a couple of years before. Luton Town had to spend, I believe, quarter of the playoff budget they got for winning the playoffs on to upgrade the stadium to Premier League health and safety codes with, mm. with seating and it, I believe it had to be 15,000 to play in the Premier League and that's because like teams like them like Bournemouth got back-to-back -back promoted from League One to the Championship mm -hmm. to the Premier League and they just don't account for stuff like this and Hirona yeah. like, it could be a massive step for them in, in their, their obviously progression as a football club and almost this mm -hmm. modern incarnation of them and Obviously, we want to talk to you about the modern incarnation of Real Madrid. I, I, the fans are probably thinking, oh my God, we talked to him about Bellingham. Please ask him mm. something about Bellingham. But all right, now this is the point. This is the point where I'll ask him. Um, Jude Bellingham, obviously he's adapted to La Liga and Real Madrid like a duck to water, so to speak. And he's he's just acting like a big game player on and off the pitch. He's got world-class players in Rudiger and Chalmany and Vinicius Jr. just in awe of him and just absolutely astounded by him. Over on this side in England, obviously, the best thing we like to do, if someone's pretty decent, we like to hype them up to the moon uh, and definitely put too much pressure on them. But with Jude Bellingham, Ollie, is, is it warranted? Cause, or is this guy just getting the hype because he's playing in a different country and maybe not everyone watches 90 minutes of him every week? Um, I think Jude Bellingham is the real deal. Like What he's doing at Real Madrid is absolutely mind-boggling. Uh, I went to... So last Thursday I was at Real Madrid Getafe working away at Getafe Real Madrid in the Coliseum and it's actually a really small stadium like, it's like I think it's around 20,000 could be less uh, and it was really cool to see him like in that setting because it's just like I mean a lot of games I'm on the pitch anyway so you're kind of near them but I spent a bit of time up in the stands and it's like it's like being in your local park watching him and he's I've seen him three times a season and there must be the only games he hasn't scored so I haven't seen the, the celebration yet however every time I do see him play he is absolutely fantastic and it's not just about goals that makes Bellingham a special player um, when he started at Real Madrid he went on this absolute crazy run where it seemed like he was just going to score in every single game He's tailed off a bit recently, but I wouldn't say that means he's been playing any worse. Um, I think at the start of the season, Rodrigo was in a poor patch of form. Hosselu wasn't firing as much as he kind of is now. Bellingham had to step up to the plate. And that new club bounce probably pushed him along as well because he is an elite player. Um, and he's the main character. Like, you know, in Spain, there is lots of stars. But in my opinion, and it's pretty obvious to me, he's already the, the star of La Liga. Like, 
even from a social media point of view, all the social media stuff around Bellingham does better than any other player. Um, and in terms of social media and kind of building his own brand, building his own um, reputation, everything he does is like amazing. To Not just on the pitch, I mean like the things you don't see or you see like behind the scenes stuff. Like I remember one of his first games he was playing against Getafe and that game he scored last minute winner. But he did this thing, you've probably seen it where he he's obviously like being marked really tightly by someone and he does this thing where he like pretends to run but then stops and kind of does like a bullfighting movement with his hands. And obviously like you're in Spain they're gonna they're gonna eat that up. Uh, he's so polite. He's so well mannered on the pitch. Um, like he's he's always being a good sportsman. You'll see clips of him like asking very politely for a water for a goalkeeper's water bottle, drinking it, then placing it, folding this towel, this type of thing. I captured him the other day coming off the pitch at Getafe, which to be honest, like. I think most players do, but they love it. He kind of walks down the tunnel and goes around the Getafe badge. Did I have Letty as well? Like these little small things would show respect. And even uh, in in Spain, Mo- Movistar do this thing called El Dia Después, which is like another camera at the game, which isn't the TV camera, which is kind of trying to find interesting moments that you wouldn't see on TV cameras. And even in the Madrid Derby, he's like giving Koke like a little hug, like just during the game, just like showing his respect for him, kind of having a joke with Rodrigo de Paul, like all these little interactions, which just make him such an appealing character. And all the comments say, I'm a Barca fan, but Bellingham, I have a lot of respect for. I'm an Atleti fan, but this Bellingham guy is, is like built different so and even the other day at the game I was there on the pitch film in the warm-up and and I was just like taking a selfie I was taking a video with Bellingham in the background like he was passing the ball to Chiamini and I was just like yeah pointing over my shoulder like there he is there's Bellingham and the crowd like are always shouting you know during the warm-up they want him to acknowledge him I don't know if he like spotted me out of the corner of his eye filming because I had like an iPhone 14 Pro, which has a big screen. So maybe like that caught his eye. But he literally turns around, waves, and he could have been waving to me or he could have been waving at the fans directly behind me. But in the video, it looks like he's waving to me. I was just like, how can he do that? Like, he just knows where everything is. Like, he's just, he's just, he's golden balls and he's the golden boy and he's won. Golden Boy and Copa Trophy this year. He's won two La Liga Player of the Month awards. He's gone to an absolutely another level at Real Madrid, and we're delighted to have him in La Liga. Yeah, it's it's almost what La Liga's needed for a while. Obviously, with the departures of Messi and Ronaldo, long term it was going to be a long time before the the league almost got those viewers back because it was almost, I, I believe when Messi left, left Barca, they lost something like 2 million followers or something like that. It's similar to when he mm-hmm. went to Paris, whenever he, he left Paris or into Miami, they lost X amount of million followers just because 
it's eyeballs on the products and obviously South America is a very football specific part of the world and that obviously links to him being at Miami but one thing I wanted to ask you Oli obviously we spoke about Bellingham then recently they played I believe it's the League Cup final in Saudi Arabia um, what long term Oli and even short term what do the, the fans in Spain think about this obviously match going fans because Saudi Arabia it's not exactly up the road and obviously it's, it's harder to do conventional European things like have a beer and you know just stuff like that at the game and what what do Spanish fans think about this or do they just see it as we don't get as much money as the Premier League therefore we need to almost sell our soul a little bit to get money to compete yeah the Super Cup is the winner of the Copa del Rey versus the winner of the league traditionally. So it's like the community shield. Um, nor, traditionally, it was just that. The winner of the Copa del Rey versus the winner of the league. If someone did the double, it would be the, the runner-up in either one of those. In recent years, um, I mean, it's no secret that the money in Spanish football is nowhere near the Premier League. So... The clubs need to kind of find other ways to generate revenue, especially with the financial difficulties that Barcelona found themselves in recent years. Um, the Spanish Federation is the one that organizes the Super Cup. So there must be some lucrative sponsorship deal with Saudi Arabia, Visit Saudi. That is fueling this. Um, I mean, basically the new format is it's like a four-team format. So the runner-up in the Copa del Rey and the runner-up in the Liga come into this. So it's like a semi-final and a final, which basically means every year you're probably going to have Barcelona and Real Madrid in it, like no matter if one of them doesn't win anything, which means the Super Copa final usually turns into an El Clasico, which is... No matter what the context is, it's the biggest game. And for people who don't watch Spanish football regularly, they'll maybe tune in for that. So I would say that's kind of why they want to make it happen. In terms of match-going fans, I don't think many people go to it. I don't think it was sold out. Um, obviously, Real Madrid and Barcelona will be big in the Middle East. They're big everywhere, but the Ronaldo connection, the Messi connection, uh, there's fans everywhere. Um, so, yeah, I mean, match-going fans, Spain isn't a particularly uh, rich country. Like, even, like, if you compare, like, the 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 average take-home pay of a job in Spain, it's probably, like, half what it is in in the UK and Ireland. So the idea of an away day in Saudi Arabia to your average Joe isn't really feasible and it's also kind of midweek. So it's definitely just a way to raise money, whether that be TV rights or raising money for transfers, uh, which kind of needs to be done because if they don't find creative ways to do it, they will be left behind by the likes of the Premier League. Like the fact Real Madrid could even buy Bellingham this season for 105 million was kind of a surprise. Not that I know all about their financial accountancy, but uh, and obviously the Mbappe is on the horizon. Uh, 
but Barcelona have definitely had to be more creative with their uh, counting. But this is it. Like it's you kind of need to think of creative ways to generate revenue when you're not the Premier League, which has huge TV rights and lots of stars and much bigger transfer budget than than what we see here in Spanish football. Yeah, it's really, really good that you mentioned Barcelona then, just that they, they are probably the most creative at generating that extra in, uh, income uh, during definitely in the La Liga uh, that I've known in the modern incarnation of it. Obviously, selling the, the name rights to the Camp Nou that is now the Spotify Camp Nou. Obviously, they've got the lucrative deal on their shirts, and then when someone's releasing an album, they then change it to that logo. It's just mm-hmm. almost very, very creative from them and just finding extra revenue that's not going to hurt them. I believe as well, Ollie, that they you can play on the pitch, I believe, or play buy half of the pitch to play like five aside or seven aside there at the new camp as well, which is is mental really to think of that someone can just go and pay X amount of money to play on such a iconic pitch that's mm-hmm. iconic players on it. But oh, people really- will do it, man. People will do it. Like yeah. either like the 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 <laughs> like the fanaticism if that's the word. Like the people are crazy about football here. Like and they come from all over the world, but it's probably the same in the Premier League, but I haven't had as much kind of... I haven't seen it as much because I haven't been to as many games, but yeah, people will wait outside the training ground. People will wait hours before games just to get a glimpse of these players. You know, it's... And I... You know, people will pay to, to get married in the Camp Nou, to play five-a-side in the Camp Nou. Like... Spain is just football mad, you know, and it's it's by it's obviously by far the biggest sport. I feel like in Ireland, definitely, uh, football is like the third most popular sport. Obviously, the, in in the UK, it's the most popular sport. But you know, you have rugby, you have cricket, you have different sports. Whereas football is just like far and away the biggest sport here, and and people are obsessed with it here. So, uh, the teams can can do these these things to generate more revenue and people are willing to pay it like I don't see an issue the Saudi Arabia stuff is a different story but like if you can keep it in your own your home patch and and find ways to generate money uh, as long as you're not taking advantage of people then that's it go yeah. by all means go and do it Ollie, I just want to ask you a question just as we're winding down Obviously, you've been to a few different stadiums. Uh, going off your Instagram, uh, I, I, I was checking out when I was doing some research that you actually did three games in one day. Talk to me about that, mate. Yeah, that was a crazy concept, um, which, I mean, I'm with the opportunity I've been given at La Liga, look, you know, you're in a position where you can, given the right circumstances, you can get accreditation to these games. Um Thank you. Thanks to our fantastic accreditation team in the office. Um, but I kind of always want to come up with like interesting ideas. Um, and this was one. It's not like I feel like a lot of my ideas, I may have like had them in a passing thought, in the, like in the past. But. And then they kind of present themselves in front of my eyes. And then I say, well, can I make that happen? So I think I was always, every time the fixtures came out, 
because the fixtures come out like it's only three to four weeks before an actual match day in Spain, which can be difficult for fans. But I always look and I say, actually, just for my own interest, because I'm living in Madrid. So I'm like, what games, if I'm not working, if I don't have other things, can I go to? Who's coming to Madrid to play? So this particular weekend in October, this particular day, it was a Saturday. There was three games on in the city of Madrid in one day. Those games were Rayo Vallecano versus Barcelona, first game of the day. In between, there was, I think Valencia were playing uh, the half four kickoff. And then the half six kickoff was Getafe versus Almeria in the Coliseum. And then the nine o'clock kickoff was Atleti versus Mallorca in the Metropolitano. So I kind of realized, okay, this is where all the stadiums are. This is when the games are. Is it mathematically possible to go to each game? Yes. I would actually shout out to Thogden and Ben Brown, who did a similar thing at the World Cup. Um, they went to all the games. So took some inspiration there. And it was absolutely mental. Basically, we met in the city centre of Madrid at, I think it was like a half 11, me and my Spanish social media manager colleague, Anais. And from there, we had to go to Rio and we were there like two hours before kickoff. I think when the buses were arriving, like, cause we, the idea was that we go to the games and kind of document it on the stories, but then also do our normal thing, which is inside the legal where you're trying to get clips like throughout the day of arrivals, pre-match stuff, behind the scenes stuff. So, that was kind of the focus as well. So you're kind of mixing two concepts together. Uh, and yeah, it was crazy. Like Barcelona, I think that was the first time I'd seen Barca that season. Um, that game ended one all, And Rayo Vallecano is in Madrid. So it's in kind of a... It's in the outskirts. It's not even the outskirts of the city. It's like... 20 minute cycle from Atacha, which is the main train station in Madrid. But it's it's in the city, but it doesn't feel like the city. It feels like a little town. And it's only got like 18, 20,000 seats. Uh, it's like the working class club of Madrid. And it's not glamorous. It's kind of raw and fantastic in its own way. Like I love, I love going there. The atmosphere is insane and they kind of stand for the right things as a working class club you know this they kind of look out for the right people and do a lot of things which i agree with so i really like that element to it so like when a team like barris is coming you can imagine the buzz in vallecas so that was really fun to get to go to that that game ended one all so then in between those games we had like a good bit of time to get to Getafe, but Part of the challenge I wanted to do was use different forms of public transport per challenge just to make life more difficult for myself, really. I'm a big cyclist, so the first game I cycled to. Second game, we got metro and train to Getafe, which ended 2-1 to, to Getafe. I had to leave before that game ended to get to the Metropolitan. I got a taxi there, loads of traffic, got there like quarter to nine just as the players were walking out so i like you're kind of going to the games getting your accreditation really quickly running on trying to 
just get film, train, and just do whatever you can. But that day was very exhausting, but one of the craziest things I've ever done. And at the end of the Atleti game, Atleti won one nil. Griezmann scored. It was like the equal. Uh, the Atleti all-time top goal scorer, Luis Aragonés, I think it was like 179 goals or something. And my colleague Anais, fair play to her, had a moment, a quick moment of brilliance, like a creative idea. She brought like a port Polaroid camera. Um, and she, when Atleti scored, they celebrated in the corner where we were. And she took a photo of like them all kind of together in a huddle. And usually at the end of the games, we get to go to film content on the pitch with the players. So I think she said to me, sometimes stuff gets lost in translation because I'm not perfect in Spanish, but she said, oh, I'm going to try and give the photo to the, to the Leti players or to Griezmann. So we're on the pitch and I was kind of getting my clips, whatever, and she's like, Ollie, here's a photo, give it to Griezmann. So I'm like, okay. I think it was like Coca's 600th appearance for Leti. So it's kind of like the cameras are on Griezmann and Koke. When I'm on the pitch, like I never get in the way of the kind of roaming cameraman. They always a priority. And I didn't want to like, because when he's clapping the fans, I didn't want to like give it to him like when he's still in the middle of the pitch. So I, and I was nervous. So I kind of waited till the last second when he was walking off the pitch, kind of got into the right position and just like handed him the, the Polaroid picture. And just said to him, Antoine, un regalo para ti, which is, Antoine, a gift for you. And he turned around to me and he said, thank you, because he knew straight away that I was an English speaker. <laughs> so um, that happens a lot in Spain. You know, the head on me, you know I'm not Spanish. And that was really funny. But even in that brief interaction with him, he came across really nice. So that was like a kind of pinch yourself moment, like, Fair play to Anais. It was all credit goes to her, but I was able to do pass the baton as if it were a relay. And I don't know where that photo is. Hopefully, it's in his room where he keeps all his jerseys or wherever. Antoine, if you're listening, let me know what you're doing with the photo. Hopefully, it didn't end up in the bin. <laughs> oh, he's definitely listening. He's an avid listener. <laughs> Antoine Griezmann. But yeah, what a player and amazing that your colleague um, was just in that moment was like, you know what would be a good idea. This. and with the old school feel obviously of a Polaroid as well yeah. I just think that that is that is amazing and just that little interaction that you've had with an elite sportsman there obviously a World Cup winner a <laughs> Champions League finalist a La Liga winner like this guy's done it all yeah. and just for you to have such a funny interaction with him in that moment <laughs> where he's like obviously just achieved something enormous in this club's history he's athletic through and through and yeah, that is just so funny that that actually yeah. happened. Just, I suppose like the wow. thing for me is that obviously like I'm like a little child on the pitch, you know, yeah. like living out my childhood dream, being up close and personal with these players. I think the key is to definitely not like ruin any moment, like anything you do. You don't want to be like disrespectful because it's not about me. You know, it's about them. So... That's why I, like, try to pick my moments to not, like, absolutely take the piss and just, like, make it all about me. But I feel like, as well, with the, the amount of people watching all around the world and 
like the amount of people that follow the social media and and even like nowadays you don't have to follow social media to see the clip like if i think it's it's good as well for the fans to see like interactions with these players to kind of show that they are just real guys and that's i'm kind of learning the more i go on that at the end of the day these are just normal fellas who do a job that just has millions and millions of eyes on it but anyone who i've interacted with so far has, has been like nice and receptive and most of the time you can get like a cool clip out of it so it's kind of finding the balance and operating in the shadows uh so that's kind of the skill to it but i've been lucky to have some funny interactions so far this season so hopefully there's a few more to come yeah, that's amazing. And obviously with the access you get, it's just, like you said, moments. That That's the key word that I took from that, just moments. And like you said, for all we know, Griezmann may actually have that in, in like you said, in his belongings because it's such a unique thing. And like like I said, with it, Polaroid, yeah. physically like touch in hand and yeah. like, oh, look at this. This is cool. This is cool. I feel like if he like, I feel like if he framed the jersey of that game or something along those lines, like it would make sense to put the photo in it definitely well so maybe someday like i'll be interviewing him in his house about his jersey collection and i can ask him about that that would be incredible <laughs> i bet he's got quite the collection as well to be honest with you you might oh, be yeah. played with and against but oh just as we're winding down mate i just want to talk to you obviously you've worked at a few uh different stadiums that i've managed to see off your, your instagram obviously you've done the metropolitano you've done uh hitafe which is the coliseum i believe what is some that you've done that people maybe would never think to do, but like you said, similar to Rio, where it's such a unique atmosphere with it being the working class. So what's one mm -hmm. that you would recommend to the people who don't go to Spanish games or are in Spain and potentially want to catch a game? And then where's one that you haven't done yet in Spain, either that in La Liga, uh, mm -hmm. the second division third, or you think, you know what, I would really love to go there if the opportunity arose. Well, um, great question. Rio is, if you're in Madrid, like I definitely recommend Rio just as kind of a different type of atmosphere. But if I was to give you the ultimate weekend getaway or like away day, if you're lucky enough for your team to draw one of these teams, I would say go to Seville. Um, to either go to Sevilla or, or Real Betis. But I would go to Betis if I had the choice. Um. So I was there a few weeks ago for the first time and Betis has always been a club who I've... This is the thing about, by the way, about me and Spanish football. I like loads of teams. like, And my team now is kind of Valencia because I worked there, went to Mestalla like many, many times. Um, but I always, you know, every time I go to a club, it's like, wow, this is so fantastic about this club. I feel like really strongly towards this element of how they run things. So Betty's was definitely that. Like I feel multiple things about Betty's. Um something I only learned when I was there a few weeks ago is that their only ever time they won La Liga was in the nineteen thirties and the manager was an Irish man called Patrick O'Connell from who was born in Dublin, who also uh managed FC uh football club Barcelona in a really difficult period for them. Some people say he like saved Barcelona. So an interesting character to do some research on. Once I found that out, I was like, wow. And 
the reason they play in green and white is because one of the founding members was uh, from Glasgow and he brought over Glasgow Celtic jerseys and that's why they're playing green and white. And to go f- another step further than that, Sli- uh, R- Celtic were founded by a man from Sligo, which is where I'm from, Rudder Walford. So, like, it's a weird connection. So, and then also, like, Real Betis always have great jerseys. They always have kind of that retro jersey look about them. And the green and white is just always a winner. So, always like that about them. Stadium is... It's not the most eye-catching from the outside, but once you get in there, like, it's it's really, really beautiful. And I just thought the atmosphere was brilliant. And in this game was Barca were in town. It was Barca Betis. So basically, you'd come to Seville, pretty big airport, like, well-connected, go to Seville, spend the weekend. Don't go in the summer. Obviously, if you're going for football, it's never in the summer anyway, but go, like, January was perfect. It was, like, 18, 19 degrees. The most beautiful city and great food great culture and you got two teams you got Sevilla and Betty so uh no but the Benito Villa Marina I just thought the atmosphere was brilliant I really liked the hymn they sing at the start and the kind of grada the the ultra section was very lively and especially basically Barca went 2-0 up and then Isco scored twice in two minutes to to bring it back to 2-all and there's a clip on my Instagram of me just in front of that grada section. And I was just like, this is mental. Like, the song has like, got a really good rhythm to it. And it was just like, the place was was electric. Like, it was epic. So, Benito Villamarine, Real Betis, the perfect Spanish football getaway. Oh, that's class. And I, my, my Spanish team from just holiday in there years ago, and they were really good at the time, is Malaga. Yeah. So like they're obviously in the third division now of group two of the third division. Uh, and obviously they, they've got no money and the situation there is just so toxic. But I like to do a football manager with them every every now and then uh, just yeah. to try and get them higher up the table. But they actually went down last year, which was, it was going to see just what a fall from grace they've had. Obviously, yeah. the semi-finals in, I want to say 2013, maybe. Yeah, it was at Isco. Yeah, uh, Santa Cruz, Di Michele's, Pellegrini. Yeah. Oh, Brilliant. what a weird team, but yeah. so, so unique. Yeah, one of my colleagues, Jorge, is, is a Malaga fan, and God bless him. He can't even watch uh, Malaga games on like TV. You have to buy like a special subscription. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. it's almost like the National League in England, where you've almost got to buy a National League player, I believe it is, or something like that, because they're never on TV. And the mm-hmm. Spanish League, I don't know if you're aware, Ollie, it's, we, we are getting more and more Spanish games on free TV in England. ITV4, um, mm-hmm. they usually put one on every Sunday. It's usually 8 o'clock, 9, nine o'clock yeah. kickoff for you guys. I uh, believe this year, uh, this year, this weekend, it's Barcelona, I want to say. They're, they're in the 8 o'clock. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's getting a lot more eyeballs on it. And even just the regular Spanish games, obviously, with it being on a Sunday and people just chilling out, a lot of, the, a lot of these, like, best of the rest, so to speak, like your Betis, yeah. these teams, and even Hatafe with, obviously, Mason Greenwood being from England, people mm-hmm. are keeping an eye on what he's going I'm sure, I'm sure. Especially. And last thing last thing on footy, just before we sign off, Ollie, obviously we did mention Mason Greenwood then. Is it a real possibility that a, a big team does come and pick this guy up in Spain, maybe a Barcelona? Because in, in England, we are seeing rumours of that. And the, the big rumour is over here that he, he will never play for Man United again. 
Yeah, the Mason Greenwood situation is quite interesting over here in Spain. Um, to to come at it from like a Spanish person's point of view, what we've seen as English speakers, what we've seen as people who are obsessed with the Premier League, anyone who isn't a Man United fan loves to see the fall from grace of Man United. So when that kind of came out, it was so massive. And the evidence which we rightly or wrongly were presented with uh, right in front of our eyes and ears was horrific. So anyone who speaks English will understand the severity of, of what we heard more than what we saw, even though what we saw was horrible too. Um, so from that point of view, a lot of Spanish people don't understand the context behind the situation. I mean, football players acting out of order is not something new but you know you do see players going to different clubs across Europe trying to like hide away from whatever they've done so in that regard like a lot of Spanish people don't understand the situation which I can't really blame them but from my point of view it's just obviously I don't don't like what he did was horrible um, and he should never play for Man United ever again. But yeah, people over here don't really know the severity of the situation. And due to that, he's playing well over here. Like it took him, it took him a few months to get kind of back into form or back up to match fitness. But the last two months, I would say he's been quality. He's scoring goals. He's apt. He's very dangerous on that right wing, cutting in his left foot. He's taking corners with his right, his left foot. And I've seen him three times a season. Seen him against Atleti in the Metropolitano, which was probably his best game. Uh, probably the game we had most eyes on him. And he was very good. And the rumor was a few months ago that Barca were going to come in for him. Um, so. It could happen. I mean, the thing is, from Man United's point of view, the longer he spends out of England and kind of cleaning up his image, because from from Mason Greenwood's point of view, he's playing in Spain and he's just focusing on his football. Uh, in the court of law, he's not guilty, I, I believe, because the charges have been dropped. Uh, he's still with the... The woman so it's a it's a tricky situation but i think he i think he could still stay in spain but i wouldn't rule out a return to man united that's all i'm saying yeah definitely and a lot of people again the, the press in england are just seeing it as like a like a plaster uh put over the situation temporarily because uh let's not forget and if anyone obviously spanish listeners of this that speak english that have clicked the link through ollie uh, Mason Green was, was a guy that was playing near enough every week for Manchester United before a player like Garnacho came through. And like Ollie said, when he is just focused on his football, he's an incredible talent. And 
he's a guy. Put it this way: if he was, he wasn't any good. Man United would have terminated his contract just because it was convenient to do so. I remember a, a situation again with me being a, a Chelsea fan, Adrian Mutu. I don't know if you remember him or the a Romanian guy he played up front for Chelsea. He failed a drug test for cocaine in like 2004. But because he'd done rubbish, he'd only been there maybe like four or five months. Chelsea just cut the losses on him, ripped up the contract. Abramovich and said, listen, we'll just cut our losses on that because it wasn't working. And he breached his contract anyway. In this situation, like you said, it's a bit more complicated because he's innocent in a court of law. She's dropped the charges. But he is an asset that is probably worth 50, 60 million pounds. And that's been... Really and the rest... <laughs> yeah exactly and like I said he's he's I'm trying to separate man from player and that's very hard mm -hmm. to do given the 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 situation but Mason Greenwood like you said takes corners with both feet his right foot is just as good as his left foot he's confident he's direct he's so savvy in terms of his natural football ability where he has 0.5 of a second to think mm -hmm. about what he's doing and Hitafe again Ollie it was just a weird a weird club of choice really but do yeah. you think that it was maybe they were the only ones to maybe think, yeah, we'll roll the dice on him because it's a win-win for us. He's on loan. If he does rubbish, we'll send him back. If whatever, but he sold them. I would say, Getafe, yeah, I would say it was a it was a risk from Getafe's point of view, um, and they were willing to take the risk. I mean, from what I understand, Greenwood was was offered to clubs all across Europe, and all of them didn't want to put up with the media scrutiny or keep their sponsors, have an issue with their sponsors. Getafe rolled the dice and this season it's paid off. Obviously, they've... If he hadn't taken the two years off, he'd definitely be a world-class player, but he's definitely got the ability to be at that level. He's still pretty young. Um, he's... he's. I don't know... Getafe's history, but he's probably one of the most talented players they've ever seen grace the Coliseum. So it's all, you know, very positive from Getafe's point of view. And they're actually having a very good season. I think they're like in the top 10, just like between Greenwood and Borja Mayoral, who's the, the other joint top goal scorer in the Liga. They're having a good season. So it's definitely worked out for them. And, uh, you know, He's just getting his head down, playing his football. There, he's doing. He does a few interviews with Getafe, his media team. He does a couple, but not an awful lot. You know, he's definitely just being like protected, keeping his head down. So, yeah, he's. We'll see what happens with him, but I don't know if Getafe will be able to keep him. But something. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the summer. Yeah, because uh, he's definitely. If this this year long loan at Getafe has been like a litmus test for other clubs who've seen like the backlash they've gotten, and let's be honest, it hasn't been that much. It kind of gets blown up. It gets, uh, it kind of just goes through the news cycle, and then that's it. So that's why I think Man United could take the flak for a few months and and bring them back. If they go about it, I don't know how they could go about it, but some sort of statement, some sort of public interview by him, or they cut their losses and get at least 30, 40 million for him. How, how much is left on his contract? 
I want to say I want to say he's got a couple of years, but I even, think it's a couple of years. Like even if they commanded, let's say, like we said about the Barcelona, even if they command like a decent sized loan fee, which might even suit Barcelona even more, not mm -hmm. making that financial commitment, they could. But I, I believe that um, Hitafe aren't paying a lot of money to to take him. I believe, like we said, Man United just wanted him out there playing football, and I think if Anthony was playing better, Ollie, I'd think he, he probably wouldn't have a, a route back there, and. Mm -hmm. Because he's playing so poorly, I, I really wouldn't be surprised, like you've said, if he he does end up back at Old Trafford with, obviously, like you said, this being the litmus test for how, how much mm -hmm. backlash are we actually going to get. And like you said, he's he is back with the girl. I believe they're having a baby together as well, which mm -hmm. almost muddies the waters in terms of, like, obviously the legal side of it. But, yeah, I, to be honest with you, as, as long now as... Because, because at the end of the day, he, he does deserve the right to work and whether that be in, in England or in Spain or wherever he, he does deserve to do so. And like mm -hmm. I said, I just hope that he's having fun in Spain in terms of he's getting his life back together. He's made a mistake. Uh, and then obviously Hetafe are benefiting from that as well. And obviously getting up the league themselves and Oli, just as we're, we're wrapping up, I've spoke to you extensively about Spanish football, La Liga. You mentioned yourself that you are a Newcastle fan. So we'll just move over to Newcastle before we let everyone know where they can find you and what you've got going mm -hmm. on at the set. For Newcastle this year, obviously, injuries. That's the big story of the Premier League this year. Injuries everywhere for every club. But Newcastle have been hit by them quite a lot. Uh, Sandro Tonali's obviously gambling ban as well. Hasn't helped them. Do you think, Oli, they will return to the Champions League next season, whether that be finishing fifth place in the Premier League, maybe getting an extra slot or getting in that top four? Or do you think maybe it's just a bridge too far, maybe? Definitely don't think it's completely out of reach. I think as Newcastle fans, we did expect a bit of activity in the trans in the January transfer window. Obviously, this January transfer window has been quiet across the board. Um, I think there was only something like a hundred million spent compared to like seven hundred million last transfer January transfer window. So, yeah, we expected some reinforcements to come in. Um, probably on the wing. Uh, I think Miggy Almiron's getting a bit of a bad time. Obviously, he can be frustrating to watch, but I don't think he's the root of the problem. But I think when, when Newcastle, in terms of FFP, look at who they can get £20 million for, there's only a certain amount of players. You know, there's kind of a... It's a checklist because you are never you don't want to get rid of your best players, Bruno, Isak, Joe Linton, etc. But then there's kind of a middle ground with players like... Almiron, Willock, who I love, uh, even the likes of Callum Wilson, you know, you could get 15, 20 million for him. We kind of thought there was going to be some activity there. It hasn't happened. The positive sign is that, well, there's positives and negatives in terms of injuries. Joe Linton seems to have suffered a very bad hamstring injury, so he's gone for most of the season. Harvey Barnes is back. He came back, scored straight away. And he actually, I do rate him pretty highly. Um, he can We can probably play a front three of Gordon, Barnes and Isak when they're all fit now, which is pretty good front three. Um, but I do think, look, this season, last season was a weird one because Chelsea performed so badly. Man United, just, like, they just about finished ahead of us, but don't really know how. Liverpool obviously had a poor season last year. Um Spurs, so this season, you know, Spurs are stronger, Liverpool are stronger, 
Man United are still there, thereabouts. There's too many better teams kind of above us. Villa are kind of still there. So I think we'd be doing very well to get Champions League. What I would take, though, and I even said this like last year when we qualified for Champions League, when we were on our way to do that, I said this kind of change between where we were and where we are now has been so fast and so drastic that as a Newcastle fan, I I would have taken like Conference League, Europa League, Champions League, you know, build yourself up. Because going straight into the Champions League, what's happened to us is a result of that. The intensity of the games, the quality of opposition. You don't want to, you can't rest players in the league, but you can't rest players in the Champions League. Because especially being in the group of death, like, and we got unlucky in that group, by the way. Um, I think if we get Europa League football, like, I'll take that. And we're still in the FA Cup. So give us a little cup run and Europa League, and I'll be happy. I definitely think we should keep stay with Eddie Howe. Um, he's a brilliant manager, and a lot of this rubbish on the internet saying he's not the right man is very reactionary. And not really looking at the big picture. So give the man time. And I think the owners will do that, thankfully. So, yeah, I'm I'm still positive. I mean, the thing is, like, the expectations may have gone a bit too high. Take them down a peg or two and then work our way back up. Europa League football would be good. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, the, there's just teams that are overachieving this year as, as opposed to last year. Like West, West Ham are seventh with a ne- negative goal difference. Man United have got uh, a, a negative goal difference as well, sat in sixth. And you've got teams like Villa who were in a title race, I say in inverted commas, in, in December. Uh, but yeah, I just think that the Premier League's so open this year that if you put genuinely a, a run of six or seven victories in a row, yeah. you can genuinely end up in those places. But the problem is nobody nobody can. <laughs> like the Newcastle game at the weekend, uh, last weekend, sorry, they, they, they were up, they were a 4-2 down, they were 4-4 with 15 minutes left, yeah. and you thought they're definitely going to win it. There was 10 minutes added on, mm-hmm. and, and Luton held out. It's just a prem. It's, just, it's crazier than ever in terms of yeah. anyone can beat anyone. Yeah, it's brilliant. And... That's what we want at the end of the day. I mean, as a Newcastle fan, not beating Luton at home is like, oh, but then you beat Villa a few days before. You come back to make it for all. It's a Premier League classic. It's like, it's not that bad, you know? Uh, you win some, you lose some. And Eddie Howe's proven we can go on runs before. So if we can get lucky with injuries, get a few lads back, hopefully you don't get any more. Once that team starts to cook, everyone will start to fear us. I, gen- I genuinely believe so because the the spine that they've got when everybody's fit, I think Nick Pope's really good. He's just uh, a little bit poor with his feet, but Newcastle don't mm-hmm. play out from the back, so it's not a, a problem anyway. Again, me being a Chelsea fan, Academy Player of the Year, the year before he left, Tino Livermento, I think the ceiling for that kid is so high. I think he's incredible. Other side, Lewis Hall, again, the Chelsea Academy product. I think his ceiling's so high, but he's just barely played, and I don't really understand that. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of faith in Dan Byrne, who I do love, obviously. Local lad. Great fella. But, yeah, Lewis Hall, like, I was really excited when he signed. But Eddie Howe, obviously, sees has more trust in Byrne. And Byrne, even though, like, he gets rinsed every once in a while, He's a bit underrated, I think, because uh, people look at him and take him on face value as a kind of a tall, slow guy. But 
he's a big leader in that team, so we kind of need him. Uh, but hopefully Lewis Hall like, can kick on. But there has been rumours that we won't get him after his loan. Yeah. Something some in his contract. Yeah, so I think he's got to play sure what's going X on. amount of games or start X amount of games for the clause to be triggered. But like mm-hmm. you mentioned with the FFP situation, I don't think they want to drop $30 million on a, a teenage left-back that's barely played, which, which mm-hmm. is a shame, like I said. But again, if he comes back to Chelsea, we very much need a left-back at the minute. So I think he will genuinely get some game time for us. And yeah, the the spine, like I said, the spine they've got. I think Sven Botman is a very classy centre half. I, I genuinely believe that. I think if you put someone who who's played at the top level next to him, I think you'll see what a good player he actually is when the burden's taken off him a little bit. Joel Linton mm-hmm. obviously has changed position. He's he's moved from a winger to a centre midfielder, and what he does, Newcastle missed so much, and that's almost why I think you've seen them leaking more goals of late because Gimaresh and Longstaff, Longstaff has got legs, but he doesn't have the legs like Joel Linton does, and mm-hmm. I just think it'll be a, a big summer for Newcastle in terms of not losing the best stars, getting people in to bulk up the squad that have played with European pedigree, like you said, whether that be in the Champions League, Europa League, and just buying smart because Newcastle have bought very, very savvy. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, the only one you could really argue is Tenali, but that's again not Newcastle's fault that he got done for gambling. We, if let's say he doesn't get done for gambling, he plays. He started like a house on fire uh, for Newcastle. Yeah. He, he probably would have justified that valuation. And he's well, yeah, I mean, he came in. Eddie Howe bought him for whatever system he wanted to deploy in this season in the Premier League and the Champions League hasn't been able to do that and you can't really blame Howe for that I mean it's a crazy situation so I mean with Tenali like I'm pissed off at him but once he comes back kind of just have to like get over it and hopefully he can come good yeah it'll just be like the Ivan Tony thing you'll get a hero's welcome because it's just something we've never seen before. It's almost like an anomaly where I, I believe that it'll probably change the way contracts are written up these days to say, like, if you're you get in trouble for gambling or betting on X, Y, and Z, then we can terminate your contract without paying wages and stuff like that. And I genuinely believe that's the the age we're moving in. And Ollie, mm-hmm. I just want to thank you again just for coming on the pod, giving everyone this insight towards La Liga obviously with you being based out of Ireland you've you've travelled so much you've had some incredible experiences one with a little World Cup winner just just putting that out there and Ollie, obviously just before I let you go I just want to know again if you had any advice for people that are trying to break into the sports industry or the sports media uh, sports media industry and just if you had any advice for working abroad yeah happy to to give my two cents on that I would say um, I've been given some advice to some people recently about this and I remember when I was kind of learning my trade and I'd always kind of hear the same advice like you have to work for free to gain experience which you can then prove yourself when you're in a position where you can get paid to do it so to work in sports media firstly you need to be passionate about it like you can't just say oh he's on the pitch with the players like I want to do that unless you actually have an interest in like videography photography graphic design all these skills that come in handy in this you need to learn that and the only way you'll learn it is if you have a genuine interest in it obviously you can learn it and it can be a chore but you want to do something you enjoy so the first thing is like to discover like what you like and it doesn't have to be video. You can kind of channel your energy into like a certain element of it. And then 
find interesting ways to and enjoyable ways to improve your skill because you're never going to get a job straight away if you haven't proved yourself so you need to find what i did contacted instagram page and said can i make edits for you can i do photoshop for you and the good thing about that was that even though my name wasn't attached to it i knew that i made it and i could see people interacting with it so i was like okay an actual tangible thing that i've done doesn't have to be out there on the internet you can do loads of work yourself and never put it out anywhere but yeah do like improve your abilities um and be patient with it and then i would say like because a lot of people when they hear like what i do would say oh you're really lucky like you you're in and part of it is luck but also part of it is being like proactive you know because you never find yourself in the situation without a bit of proactivity so what was i proactive about learning skills uh learning spanish even though i'm like definitely not fluent like as a, in school i enjoyed spanish luckily i had a good teacher and then once i realized that i wanted to like improve my spanish i said i'll move to spain you know you have to take that step and then you'll never know like what's going to happen if you don't try so like i nearly say to myself every time i leave my apartment for example something will present itself to me and that doesn't mean oh a job opportunity will present itself to me oh a future wife or a future friend will will pop up to me in the street but if you don't put yourself out there you're never going to find it so you have to put yourself in these situations networking is very important um and even if you feel like you sh- don't deserve to be speaking to this person because you haven't proved yourself just show enthusiasm show your personality and being a being able to like get along with people is like one of the most important skills you'll ever learn um and then in terms of moving abroad i would say i mean it's not as simple for everyone like i was all i'm lucky that i kind of was able to travel a bit when i was a child um and then as soon as I kind of had my own independence as an adult, like travel was something I valued a lot. So for me, moving to another country like wasn't like the biggest thing in the world because I kind of had spent time away. And at university, like I lived in the other side of the country, so I, like, I didn't live with my parents. So it's like kind of a step-by-step process. But in terms of living abroad, living in Spain, like you need to weigh up the positives and the negatives positives are the weather the lifestyle the food uh, the affordability of it all the downsides are maybe job opportunities your wage you're going to get paid but and i've been lucky you know a lot of people come here and teach english which is a great job you can have a great life doing that and i've been lucky enough to kind of somehow find my way into football here um but you can do it as long as you believe in yourself and be proactive like don't let don't wait for it to come to you like you have to make it happen for yourself 100 percent. 
I feel like that's solid advice. And obviously, with you working in the industry, just working for free, obviously, is a crucial thing. And like you said, even though you're not getting that instant gratification, which a lot of people are looking for these days, you knew that, like you said, it was something tangible that you'd made. And you was like, you know what, I was a part of that. And Ollie, obviously, if people want to check out what you're doing, obviously, you mentioned your YouTube channel. Ollie Talks mm -hmm. Football is his Instagram page handle. Ollie, where can people find you, listen to your stuff, view your stuff, and anything that you've got going on down the pipeline that people might want to hear about? Um, well, yeah, as you mentioned, like my kind of new venture is Ollie Talks Football, which is like my own personal uh, football account. Um, so on there, you'll see like behind the scenes content from what I'm doing on the La Liga account. So I'll do, I often do like Instagram takeovers when I go to games. You'll see content that I post on the social media page of La Liga. I'll repost it there. And then, like, I'm always going to games, even just for my own pleasure. We don't get too, we don't really get too many tickets in the Liga just due to the size of the company. Not everyone can get tickets, but if there's a game in Madrid, I might be there. If there's a game in another part of Spain, I might be there. And through working in the football industry, I do luckily get to meet some interesting people who I, I may then find myself going and seeing them and going to matches. So there's an exciting trip coming up in March in the Balkan countries, and that's all I'm going to say because it's not fully confirmed. But you should definitely follow along because uh, it's not just like my La Liga stuff that I post. I'm trying to do other content about football and who knows where it will lead to in the future. Uh, it's kind of at its inception now, I'm trying to find like, where I want to go with it, but that's where you'll find all my football stuff. Follow the La Liga Twitter account, which is where me and two of my colleagues post all the English content. Um, and then on the Instagram account, every once in a while, we'll be on there. One other venture we have going on for La Liga is the La Liga Talks podcast, which is the first ever English-speaking podcast coming out of La Liga. We've, we're actually launching our seventh episode today. So check that out too. And that's it really. I mean, there might be some other things in the future, like YouTube channels and stuff, but as of yeah, as of right now, you'll get everything on Ollie Talks Football. Oh, fantastic. And Ollie, like I said, I just want to say thank you for so much of your time. It's been a really interesting podcast. Obviously, we don't get to talk La Liga that much on this being a Premier League podcast predominantly and then speaking about the European Cups. But I just hope that the listeners enjoyed it. Again, if you want in to look into potentially working abroad, Ollie's give you the bullet points of how he's done it and what's worked for him. It's not necessarily a blueprint for everybody, but it's just worked for him and the situation that he's in at the minute in Madrid and Spain and just some fantastic opportunities that he's grabbed with both hands. So, Ollie, I just want to again thank you very much for coming on, mate. Episode 212 of the podcast and yeah gracias amigo thanks very much uh, one thing I'd just like to add if anyone does want to ask more like specific questions to me about my job living in Spain feel free to message me on that Instagram page because I will get back and give you some advice but thanks a million for having me on man. it's been really really enjoyable yeah anytime mate welcome back anytime thanks for coming on adios <laughs>